From St. Matthew's Gospel, Jesus said, Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, friends. Sorry about the rain. <laughs> uh, last week we talked about, if you're here, we talked about the distinctiveness of the Christian world view. And what that is simply is how does our faith in Jesus Christ help us make sense of the world around us? And this, we discovered last week that the solutions to the world problems aren't signs and wonders and knowledge and all that sort of thing. But the real solution to every problem that you face and I face is the cross. If you weren't here last week, you can go on the website, check it out, get on podcast. If you're really nice to me, you can call and I'll read it to you. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't actually write them, so I'll have to do it from memory. Uh, but now that we've discovered how, the, how we are to think differently and perceive the world differently, Jesus kind of shifts the whole thing a little bit, and he gives us our marching orders. He says that we are to be, to be salt, and we are to be light. Here's a question. How can you be salt? How can you be light? Because salt and light are both descriptions of who we are existentially, what we become as Christians, salt and light. Jesus says, y'all are salt and light. You, Christians, are salt of, salt of the earth, the light of the world. How do we as Christians learn how to be salt, and then how do we do it? We're going to talk about that today, and this is pretty profound. I hope you, hope you find this uh, maybe change your thinking a little bit. Two things. It sounds simple, but man, it's a lot more profound than it seems on the surface. What is it called to be salt? What is it called to be light? And then how does being salt and light, how does your being salt and light give glory to God, your Father in heaven? So one thing you need to know before we get into salt and light, which is a, the, main, the, the uh, main point of the sermon, you've got to realize where this salt and light business comes in. It comes in right at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, which you're familiar with, the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in heart. Uh, blessed are the meek. Um, Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount, which we was read last week in church, I didn't preach on it, but was read last week, Jesus is actually laying out the Beatitudes are a profoundly distinct Christian view of the world, radically different from the way the world would think. And if you just read it like this, you'll see my point. Ready? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Yeah, okay. Blessed are those who mourn. Really? Blessed are the poor in heart. Yeah, sure. See, my point is the Beatitudes don't, they're not some sort of uh, utopian worldview of social justice warriors. No, but the Beatitudes actually do is they describe the upside-down kingdom. And the upside-down kingdom is not the kingdom of heaven, but the kingdom of this world, you see. And what Jesus is doing in the Beatitudes is laying out the standards, listen, by which you and I are called to live differently. And one thing I want to point out in all this, I'm not going to get into the Beatitudes this morning. That's a, that's a big topic. But I do want to show you one really cool thing, and that's the word blessed. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. What does that even mean? Most people hear the word blessed as God blesses you. So if you're poor and you're meek and you're suffering, God will bless you. He'll be really nice to you later on. Don't worry, right? That kind of thing. 
That's actually not a very good translation at all, the Greek word makarios. And some translations actually translate it happy. Happy are the poor. Happy are the meek. Really? That's another, not a good translation either. You know, we want to hear a really good translation of the word makarios. Enviable. You will be envied if you suffer. You will be envied if you are poor in spirit. Everybody's going to look up to you as the example of what they don't have and they want if you suffer. In other words, what Jesus is laying out here, it's remarkable, this makarios, this idea, is that he is describing, listen, how you live life well. Not because suffering and poverty and, and being hungry are terribly satisfying events. They're not for me, for sure. But rather that when you, what he's saying is, you as Christians, when you suffer in these different ways, when you struggle, your focus is not on this kingdom, but on the kingdom to come. And that is why you are the envy of all those that see you. Let me give you an example. I was watching a video yesterday. I was working out, had YouTube on, and there was a video of a guy who was a Roman Catholic exorcist, actually. Couldn't tell you his name, but he was an exorcist, and he was describing his conversion experience as a young man. He claimed he was an atheist um, in his early 20s, which is awfully fashionable at that period of most of people, a lot of people's lives. He was an atheist, uh, and he was, but he was hanging out with these Christians, these Roman Catholic folks that he was really kind of captivated by, and he couldn't explain it. He realized, though, that they had this tremendous sense of peace, this, year, this, this sense of calm, this sense of assurance that he wanted, but he lacked. And he said at one, at one point he was sitting in a coffee house with his friend who was a Christian, and they were having coffee, having a really great conversation about who knows what. And the, somebody comes running in and says to the Christian guy, hey, Bill, your car just got smashed out back. It's completely destroyed. And the atheist guy is talking to the, Bill, the Christian, and Bill says, hmm, okay, I guess God didn't want me to have that car after all. But the point is, and, and he stayed. He didn't get up and run out and, you know, you filthy animal, none of that. That's what I would have done. Uh, probably. Uh, maybe not. Hopefully not. Well, instead, what, what this atheist guy said, he says, you know, I knew all the arguments. I had all the wisdom and science. Talked about that last week. But what really got me was this idea of peace that this man, these people just flowed out of them. And it was something I wanted and I didn't have. In other words, they had makarios. He envied what they had because he didn't have it. In other words, the Christian life is a radically different view of the world, that we are called to live lives differently through an entirely different lens, trusting in the goodness and providence and mercy of God in all things, even suffering, even mourning, even poverty, even when your car gets smashed. That's how Christians are called to live. That's what the Beatitudes are all about. And then Jesus lays out the Beatitudes and describes how we are called to live. And then he says... Y'all are the salt of the earth. Y'all are the light of the world. It's important, just, it's important to know the backstory because he's laid out how we're called to live, and then he gives your, you your identity and your marching orders. You are the light of the world. Second person plural in Greek, y'all are the light of the world. Y'all are the salt of the earth. And he's not talking to humanity in general. He's talking to Christians. You all are the light of the world. Let me ask you a question. What does light do? What does light do? Last night, I was laying in bed, 3 o'clock in the morning, and I heard a door slam. And I thought, woke me up. It was kind of start, it was 
kind of terrifying, actually. I thought somebody was in the house. And so I jumped up out of bed, went and got a flashlight, looked out the back window, because it was windy, and the, the, the door on the screen, uh, door outside was open and was banging around. And I took that light and I shined it out there, and what did that light do? It exposed the problem. Most people think of light in a Christian context as us being the light of the world, us being the ones who sh expose the deficiencies in our culture, but that we, are to sh we, that we show error in our woke culture, for example, for, of many. But light also, there's another aspect to this, it's related. Light doesn't just show error, it actually shows you where to go. It shows you the correct path. The psalmist says this, Psalm 119, verse 105. Lord, your word is a lantern to my feet and a light unto my path. See, when Jesus says, y'all are the light of the world, he's saying, y'all are there to expose error, to help people, but then to show them a better way. Let me give you an example. There was a guy, uh, I don't know, 10 years ago I saw, saw Ray Comfort, is that his name? Ray Comfort, he would go to these college campuses. Have you ever seen this? He'd go to a college campus, he'd find some kid walking to class, and he'd say, uh, he'd say hey man, uh, you got a minute? I got a couple questions for you. He'd say, sure, okay. Kid's walking to class, stops for a minute, and he says, uh, are you a good person? And the kid says, yeah, I think I'm a pretty good person if I don't say so myself. And this guy, Roy Comfort, says, okay. He goes, um, have you ever lied? And the kid says, well, Maybe, you know, I did cheat on an exam once, lied to my folks. So, yeah, I guess I, I, guess I have lied. He says, well, what do you call someone who's lied? And he says, um, a liar? Yep, bingo. Okay, next question. He says, have you ever stolen something? Guys, the kids look around and say, you know, yeah, come to think of it, I have. I stole a six-pack of beer last week at the 7-Eleven, and, uh, yeah, I guess a few times I've stolen things here. Why do you ask? Well, what do you call someone who steals, the guy says. Because in the mic, he says, uh, I don't know, a thief? Okay, so let me get this straight. You're a pretty good, you're a good guy, but you've just admitted to me that you're a liar and a thief. And the kid, and then, now, the kid, now the light comes on, right? And then he says, let me ask you another question. He goes, have you ever lusted after somebody of the opposite sex? He's a sophomore in college. The answer is yes, right? He says, well, yes, I have. And the guy says, well, you know, Jesus tells us that if you look at someone lustfully, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. At this point, the man is, this kid's clearly uncomfortable. And he says, let me just get this straight. You said you're a good person, but, you've, but your own, by your own admission, you're a thief, a liar, and an adulterer. Is that true? Dead silence. And he says, you know, I can show you a better way. Because you know what? He says, I am a liar and a thief and an adulterer too. I'm a broken man who has found the answer. In other words, I, and the answer, his name is Jesus. What this man was doing, and think about it, he was exposing the error of this person in order to help them do better. It does no one any good to bang someone over the head with morality if you're not going to show them a better way. That's what light does. You all are the light of the world. You expose error in other people or your own heart, for that matter, too. But then show people a better way to live. That's what we are called to do. Christians are children of the light because we recognize that we were, in fact, at one point in the darkness— that we are not, in fact, good people, whatever that means. If we're really honest with ourselves, we are broken sinners. 
We all have shortcomings. We all have things we've done wrong that we regret, things we wish we didn't do, besetting sins, things we do over and over again. But here's the difference. Here's the light shining in the good news that despite our sins and our brokenness and our shortcomings, Jesus, God in his mercy, by God through the cross, has saved us. So what does it mean to be light? It means that as Christians who are sinners saved by Jesus, who trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, right, that we have been entrusted with a mission. Jesus says this, you all are the light of the world. To live at peace with God and to live according to an entirely different worldview than the culture in which we live. And to draw others into that same life. Because that light that Jesus says you have as a Christian, that light does not come out of you like some magical stream. That light is reflected light. It's like the moon. You all know this, right? The moon doesn't have any light of its own. You can only see the moon at night because the sun shines on it. Same idea. That when the Son of God shines through you, off of you, you are the light of the world. The moon has no light of its own, and neither do you accept that the love of Jesus Christ flows and is reflected off of the way that you live. Jesus says, y'all are the light of the world. If you don't do it, who will? If we're not going to correct the culture in which we live, if we're not going to correct the problems in our own heart, the problems in our families and our friends and our neighbors and all sorts of things, if we're not going to be the solution to the problem, who's going to fix it? The government? Yeah. Hold your breath for that. Light shines in the darkness. We are called to be that light, to shine. Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they might give glory to not you, but your Father in heaven. I'll get to that in a minute. So light shines in the darkness to expose error and to show the path forward to show a better way. And then there's this idea of salt. What's this idea of salt? Y'all are the salt of the earth. Well, salt in the ancient Near East is not a seasoning, right? You don't put it on your steak to make it taste better. I did that last night. You put it on your steak to keep it from rotting. It's a preservative. And, you, and what, what you would do is you would go to the Dead Sea, which is a very high salt content, and you would, you would go into the sand, and you would scrape the salt off the top of it, and you would try to get as much of the purest salt that you could get. You know, you get some, you get some, some salt in there, but you might get some, some dirt, and some shells, and some cigarette butts, and fishing line, and that kind of stuff, right? You might get all sorts of trash that's in there along, and Jesus says, look, the only way that that salt is helpful, is useful, is if it's pure, to the degree that that salt is pure, it can actually preserve what would otherwise rot. And that's why Jesus said, if you lose your saltiness, if you're not distinct, you're not going to be part of the solution, but part of the problem. Friends, the church is called to preserve what is good in our culture. And if that's true, and it is, we must be distinct from our culture, but we've got to live in it. We've got to be the preservative. If you look through history, we were talking about this this morning at the Rector's Forum, if you look through history, when you have societies which have gotten rid of God, right, Stalin, Mao Zedong, what do you see next? Massive, widespread death and destruction. Friends, we are called as Christians to be the thing which holds it all together. The salt which preserves what is good and right and holy. Not because of us, but because of the God who works through us. 
I'll give you an example. When I was in Red Bank, my, my, uh, my middle daughter, Katie, when she was a baby, she was colicky. Man, that kid could cry. Unbelievable. And uh, she was colicky, and she would just cry inconsolably. So one day, my wife, Kathy, is at school picking up Amy from school, my older daughter, and just chatting with one of the women in the pickup line, as women do when they pick up their kids. And uh, Katie was, or Kathy was talking about my colicky daughter. And the woman said, you know, my daughter's just like that. She, she just cries inconsolably. I don't know what to do. Kathy, you know what my wife said? She goes, I'll tell you what I did. And she said, what did you do? She said, I asked Jesus to help me. And he did. And the lady said, oh, that's, you know, that's nice kind of thing. But it was the truth. My wife was being salt, light and salt for that matter, showing her the way, the other, this woman, how, how, how God had solved her problem, but also preserving what's true. You and I, friends, are called to be salt in our culture, not because of who you are or who I am, God knows, but because of what he did for us. That light that's in you flows out of you. It can't be contained. And if you are the light of the world, then it cannot be hidden. If you are the salt of the earth, if you don't preserve what is good and holy, who will? So how does us being salt and light, those are our marching orders, right? Two metaphors that God uses, and they're super powerful, and they're just obvious when you think about it. But here's the question I want to challenge you with this morning. How does being salt and light give glory to God? It sounds like if it's going to give glory to anybody, it's going to give glory to me or the person who's being salty and light. That's not what he says. It's no, no, no. If you are salt and you are light, you will give glory to your Father in heaven. Let me ask you a question. You ever, you ever like um, look at a painting or listen to a, some music that you just really enjoy for its own sake? You ever have that? I mean, you know, if you go to an art museum and you look at a painting, you don't get anything from that. You're just looking at it, and you're going, man, I really, I just really enjoy looking at that. Or this past summer, I was in Denver, and I, hap- I went to the Red Rocks Amphitheater. Anybody ever been there? Super cool place. And I was just going to check it out. I've always wanted to go as, since I was a kid. And I walk up there, and the next day, guess who's playing at Red Rocks? Joe Bonamassa. Woo! One of my favorites. He's a blues guy. So I went and saw it, and I sat there and watched Joe Bonamassa play guitar and sing until the sun went down, and I was having a great time. Then the sun went down, and everybody started smoking more pot than you could even imagine. It's an outdoor concert, and it was so much weed I had to go. It was so smoky. But until then, (laughs) until that point, I was just admiring it for its own sake. The point is admiring something for its own sake, whether it's art or music or poetry or your dog, whatever it is that you just happen to really love. When you find something that you just admire for its own sake, what you're actually doing is giving glory to whoever created it. See my point? You look at a painting, you're not glorifying that piece of paper, you're glorifying the person who made it. You listen to music, you're not glorifying the musicians, you're glorifying the person who wrote the music. See, here's what Scripture, Jesus is driving at, is that you and I are God's artwork. We are his created children. When people see changed life in you, that gives glory to God, our Father, who created you and saved you because he has changed and is changing you. You know, one of my favorite things about being a parish priest, there's lots of them, but one of the things... The honest, the thing I love the most about being your rector, being here, is to see people's lives changed by Jesus. And it's not always great big whiz-bang change. Sometimes it is. 
Usually it's a little more gradual, but you do see it. And I just, I just, I find joy in that. How seeing how other people's lives have been changed and are being changed by God working in, on, and through them. Because Jesus has put people in my life that were salt and light. And they were examples to me when I was just a 20-something-year-old punk, didn't know any better. And I love when people, when I see other people working in the lives of people in my parish and their lives begin to change. I love to see people that are salty and people that are light changing the lives of those around us, living lives radically different than we lived before to show us a better way of peace and joy and confidence and makarios, a life that is well-lived and envied by those around us. See, what we do here at Trinity Episcopal Church, what we do, there's lots of nonprofits in this town, and there's a, I mean, people give a lot of money to them, and they're all good things. But what we do here at Trinity is we're actually a, a level below it all, right? We're in the people power, manpower business. You look at the boards of the men and bo- the, uh, Boys and Girls Club or Salvation Army or all these different f- things that people give money to in town. You look at those boards, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find salt, and you're going to find light. You're going to find Christians. If we are going to change our culture, friends, the way we change our culture for good is by the power of God changing hearts, and that is what we do here. Our mission is the most important mission of any nonprofit that there is because we change lives by the power of Jesus Christ working in, on, and through us. You want to change the world in which we live? You want to be an impact on your culture? Yeah, you can complain. You can put a bumper sticker on your car or get into some stupid Twitter fight with somebody. Yeah, I hope it makes you feel better won't do any good. You want to really change the world? Support your church. Help us side by side to build up the body of Christ, to get more salt and more light into a world which desperately needs it. Friends, if you look at the history, it's always the church that's out in front of change. Always. Middle Ages, the monasteries saved Western thought, slave trade, the church was a part of that, abolished that, women's rights, Civil rights movement all started from the church, not the, not the government. If you want to change your culture, it starts here, with changed lives whom Jesus has changed for good. Are we living examples of the God that changed our lives? Are we, living, are we salt and light in a culture which so desperately needs it? As that famous uh, commercial says, stay salty, my friends. Stay salty. Be salt and light to your families, your friends, our culture, who so desperately needs it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.